trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Why should the people listen to you? Because I can speak with an English accent. Van Battle Station's missile for WSRT. Spin up all missiles. Welcome to yet another live edition of The Subvets. I'm Dave Bowman. And I'm Eric Weil from The Subvet. And we are so glad to be here with each and every one of you on a Friday, which is kind of... Uh, a little unusual, I guess. Hang on, I'm going to cut that off because it's it's not fading properly. So it's always a te- every time we overcome one technical challenge, we face another one. <laughs> Never ends. Good morning. Is what it is. How's the knee? The knee. Uh, well, I was doing great, and and I went into PT confident yesterday, and I said, "Man, look at this knee. Look at this flexibility. I've been knocking out the PT." She goes, we're going to kick it up a notch. I said, I'm ready. So I whimpered in pain all night last night. That's narrator. how that went. Narrator. He was not ready. <laughs> I was not ready. <laughs> well, we got a special, another special guest today. This time from, as we would say, across the pond in Stratford-on-Avon. You know what, Do you know where that is, Eric? Do you know why that place is famous? Uh, I'm sure I don't. And I'm For trying to figure out how you do Shakespeare. where Shakespeare's from. Of course. Of course you know that, Dave. Ryan Ramsey. Well, that's that's why you're an FTB and I'm in a missile yeah, tech. There you go. Dave. Ryan Ramsey joins us from <laughs> Merry Old England this morning. Good morning, Ryan. How are you today? I am good, thanks very much. It's coming towards the uh, the evening for us, so um, we, we've had a great day of weather in Stratford-on-Avon. Lots of people looking around and seeing where Shakespeare was born and all the plays that he wrote. So, uh, yeah, it's been all good. Now, just so you know, uh, it, it's beer time in England. So he's having, uh, yeah. we are having coffee or I'm having coffee. I don't know what Eric's drinking, but um, I'm it, drinking water. I don't drink water. <laughs> Fish, you know what in it. So <laughs> I'm glad you were. So how you, do, how you doing, Ryan? I mean, I'm glad you could come, uh, come on the broadcast. It was kind of short notice. And oh, I'm no, good. Yeah. yeah. I'm good, thanks, and a pleasure for, pleasure for inviting me. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, and who 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 is Ryan Ramsey? Yeah, who is Ryan Ramsey? It's probably what is Ryan Ramsey is easier to explain. We, um, so, in basic terms, um, I, I was in the I'm, I'm a veteran too, so I served in the um, Royal Navy for uh, over 26 years. Um, in the submarine service, I was fortunate enough to be um, the captain of HMS Turbulent, which is a, an SSN or an SSGN in rea- reality because I had Tomahawk missiles. I then went on to teach submarine captains as well on the um, the course, which is called the Perisher course, which is a bit like your submarine command course out in the US. And probably two other things of point. I did two exchange programs. One with the Royal Netherlands and Navy for two years, uh, first guy to do that. And then I also spent two years with your great Navy up in Comsub Dobram 12, working for a guy called John Richardson. Ah, now I get the connection. Okay. Eric was trying to get me to, to look up John Richardson yesterday, and I was confused. As to, okay, you worked with him. That's why. You. All right. That's now it. I get it. So what, tell me, oh boy, that's interesting. Tell me about the, the you said the net, the, Norwegian Navy or, or Netherlands Navy? I kind of missed that. Uh, Nether- uh, Royal Netherlands Navy, Dutch. So that's um, 
historically, that's kind of a, uh, a, a raw area for you Brits, isn't it? Kind of, you know, the, Eng- the English, Dutch, Anglo Dutch conflicts there. I, I think way back, <laughs> way back when, yeah, they, they bring that up a lot about how they managed to sell down the Thames and sink everything. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I would bring, I would bring up about how we we went up to Tessel, which is the island just off Den Helden, did the same to them, which they conveniently forgotten about. <laughs> what was that experience like? What, it's a horse that way. <laughs> how was the Dutch Navy? What What did you do I with them? It was amazing. I, I mean, so so at the time it was a, a war's class. This was 1992. Uh, I went out 92 to 95, and um, the uh, it was amazing because their submarines were so far ahead with technology and everything else. Um, and they're, they're, they're brilliant submariners. I, I learned so much from them. I had to learn Dutch, which was which was great. So so I spoke fluent Dutch by the by about six months into it. And um, incredible submariners, natural in what they did. And and lifelong friends, so friends that are still my friends now. You know, I, I got a question there when you said that you had to learn Dutch. In in airplanes, English is the international language. Is that true in submarines, or do they speak their their native Dutch and whatever? On oh, so, on. so yeah, well, they, they can. I mean, they could speak English right. easily enough, but that, that wasn't that half of the point. Was you're supposed to um, you're an exchange officer, and, and you should be learning their language. Um, but the reality is I've also ridden a whole load of other submarines. So I've ridden Canadians, uh, Italians. I went on a Polish kilo. Um, I've been on, I've been on a variety of different um, nations and most of them operate in their own language unless they have English speaking people on board. And then that becomes. Do you feel you pick up little tidbits and a little bit of differences in between each Navy that you, uh, you know, you serve with parts. I mean, submariners, I mean, generally saying, are they all the same? But you pick up little bits of differences that that are to your liking, and uh, you know it, it kind of exercises your uh, your ability to be a better submariner. Yeah, I think the, the the one thing that I was so fortunate to do before I um, took command was to go and see every other, you know, all the nations that I went on board, twelve nations in total, all the other submarine captains that I saw operate, all the other submarine exos that I saw operate work out the good, work out the bad. What would I do myself? What could I do myself? Because personality comes into it a lot. Um, and, and yeah, you, you see so many similarities, particularly the ethos. The ethos on every submarine is exactly what you'd expect it to be. Submariner first, everything else second. Um, but then tactics are different, uh, equipment's different, and, and, and operating procedures are different as well. So you just pull the best out of, out of that and put it into the submarine that you're going to go and lead on. So uh, I had the pleasure of uh, being on two operations there at Naval Ordnance Testing at Cape Canaveral. I was stationed there. So I did two British submarines. Forgive me if I, I forget the names. It's been so many years ago. But uh, the second one, I got to go out on the actual launch crew for that one. I was the test launch ops suit for that one. So I, I come to really like the style of how, you know, you guys, you know, you're great guys and everything and we got along and it was, you know, everything's kind of laid back, but when you go into operation, I mean, it's dead serious. And I, I kind of like that, the, the differences in the culture. And I also like, uh, like I've watched the, the older version, you know, because they had two uh, shows about the parisher from the early eighties. And then I've watched the newer one, which I think was around 2014 or something like that. But, you know, I like the fact how, uh, your officers split at some point. I think it's in their first tour, whether they're going to go engineering or they're going to go 
to the forward part of which is you know weapons and command. So you you serve in the, the command course without you know giving too many jibes on it. I mean, uh, I mean, like I said, I think there's stark differences in the way you guys command your submarines to your advantage. But I, I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that. Any any comments you might have on that? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so it's really interesting when I went out when I um, went to Concept of Run Twelve. I think I went in with that um, premise. I'd passed the Perisher course. It is unique. It's predominantly the best uh, command course in in the world and recognised as such. And therefore, I had this predisposition that because um, all the US uh, officers are engineers first and they go through that, that, that there'll be a difference in the way they did it. And what I quickly learned, having observed um, quite a few submarine command courses whilst I was out there doing the weapon firings um, in Ortec, was um, predominantly the, the courses and your background is not key to it. You're either a really good leader or you're not. And um, and so everything comes down to um, everything comes down to that particular individual. And if I give you one case in point, and I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning, I mean, firstly, John Richardson, most inspirational leader I've ever worked for. Amazing, amazing guy. Very, very sound, very calm. The way he operates as um, as Comsub Devron Twelve. But I went to see on board the USS Alexandria um, quite a few times actually, and and that crew. You know, you could argue that the captain of that boat and his name is Mike Benaki. He, he drove it like a, a Brit would drive it. And he said, you know, I've seen how Brits drive and I, I can do the same. So so I think this comes back to the individual. Uh, it's not about um, your background and, and, and how you specialise. It's all about the leadership, the individual concerned and the teamwork that goes on in a boat. Outstanding uh, statements there. I, I mean, I really enjoyed those comments. So I saw that, I mean, you did an interview with, uh, I call leadership Jesus, you know, John Rennie. So, I mean, I was really glad that you focused on the leadership because I, I really, myself, I really think that that is a, a key thing. And I'm glad you reminded and pointed it out, you know, submariners, you know, yeah, we got all that, but leadership makes a big deal. So thank, thanks. That was good stuff. Well, that's got to, uh, that's got to kind of mess with Soviet, sorry, Russian captains, right? They're tracking Alexandria. They're thinking this is a, this is a yank. And all of a sudden he starts behaving like a, like a Brit. It's got to kind of mess with them a little bit, doesn't it? I think I think even the Russians. If you, I'm unfortunate enough to met um, met a few Russian captains, which was a, a, a kind of bizarre experience to meet your opposition, effectively. Um, but the, the even then, it, when you when you look along the uh, look at the uh, the Russian cadre, there are good captains and there are bad captains, and there are and, and I think they look the same as us. It was, it was really interesting meeting them. They were really interested in meeting the submarine. They weren't interested in the submarine. They just wanted to meet the individuals involved, and 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 that tells you a lot about how they look at warfare as well. You fight anybody, um, you know, you're fighting the individual. You're fighting the individuals on board that submarine. They just have a platform. And it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, when, when I was on board HMS Turbulent, we went up against a very, um, you know, went up against some very new submarines and we were 28 years old and we still won. And we won because we knew our platform. We were excellent as a team together. I was fortunate to have some absolutely brilliant people um, who, who supported and did everything. We were able to make decisions. We devolved decision-making all the way down to as much as you could um, do this. We're a democracy up until a decision was made, and then we go off and execute, and that, and that works really, really well. I think one of the most surreal experiences of my life was about uh, four years after, well, five years after I got out. Um, I was, it was 1996. I was in Atlanta. The Olympics were going on. And there were a bunch of Russians who came to visit us. 
one of whom had been a Russian submariner and just sitting in my office, talking to him for like four hours. And you, as you said, talking about personalities and that sort of thing, it was, it was surreal because I was still in that, uh, you know, you can't talk to Russians. You can't talk about Russians. You can't talk anything about Russia. You can't go to Russia mode and really strange, but interesting. That's, that's for sure. What'd you like most about being in command of the turbulent? Uh, so, well, if I say most, it was seeing um, people just do amazing things and, and get promoted and, and how you enable the progression of those people. I think a good uh, one of the captain of HMS Trenchant when I was on board that and I was just about to go off to Perisher and he turned around to, I remember he was sat in his cabin and he was sat on his hands and he said, you wait till you get in command because he said, if you're doing stuff, you've got it wrong. It's about making sure that everybody else can do stuff and you jump in when it goes wrong. And and it's and those people go, it's your train set. It's not, it's their submarine. You're just you're just helping them through it. And he was absolutely right. So so I went in there with that mindset that um I would let everybody find their limits, do as much as they possibly could. Um, and then just seeing people get promoted, seeing people learn and go and do what they wanted to do, that was the most rewarding thing for me. Yeah, I like how you said democracy first, and then, uh, and then when a decision has to be made, well, that's that's when that's when the business gets real. So I, I respect that. That's a great. That's the first time I've ever heard that statement. I might borrow that if you don't mind. Uh, did you? <laughs> do you say? Uh, I thought I saw a post earlier. It looked like an old grade school post. It says you're an extrovert, and that's me too. I'm extrovert all day long. I'm stuck, unfortunately, in a land of introverts right now here in Denver, Colorado. No, not to snub them, but you know, coming from the south, they're all we're all extroverts. We're all in each other's business, talky talky and stuff. So, so you you're from Sheffield originally, like Def Leppard land type Sheffield. No, no, that that was so that was HMS Sheffield, which was the um, Type 22 frigate. So, um, so basically, when oh. I was yeah, <laughs> so. So um, I've, when, I, when you leave the Navy, you have the right to ask for all of your um, reports. And um, and the interesting bit is, is way back this was, right, in the 80s, early 90s, they'd give you one report, but they'd write another report about you. <laughs> so you'd have this generic little bit of paper that said, oh, so you know, you, <laughs> you're doing all right, but you have no idea what they'd written about you. And that, that changed, obviously, mid-90s, and it was open reporting. But I asked for all the reports, and it is hilarious <laughs> reading. So, so how, and, and I said this, cause I always said to myself and I wrote it in my book that, you know, the first time I wanted to be a submariner was when I went on board a submarine as a midshipman. And, and I decided then, and, and I honestly believe that when I wrote it, but when I read those early reports, it was obvious. I didn't know whether I even wanted to stay in the Navy, particularly for the first few years. And then it was only about two years into the submarine service. And I settled and said, right, this is it. And um, and then focused, and it's just an interest. So I'm going to put some more of those on Twitter because they are absolutely hilarious. What it says about me? So, yeah, they're uh, kind of hard. They're kind of hardcore. I'm reading them. I guess talking like he's in grade school. I was trying to figure it out, but it, yeah. So that's interesting. They say one thing to your face, and then another one, and you're able to get the reports later. That's that's great stuff. Yeah, you got to post more of those. I can't wait to read them. <laughs> so you taught other commanding officers as I understood it, that has to be an interesting experience because you're going to get a lot of different personalities. People are going to come in there who are, you know, willing to learn. you got people who are going to think they know everything already. What's tell me a little bit about that experience. 
Yeah, so, so, so I said, um, I mean, commanding commanding turbulent was was a, a really huge responsibility, and it was a responsibility to take my crew to sea, um, make sure I could bring them back safely, and achieve the mission in between. Um, and, but actually, teaching the perisher course um, was, in some ways, way more co- complex than than leading your team and going off and doing doing stuff. And predominantly because you've 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 hit it in a in one every single student's got a different personality and the one thing you don't want to do when you're a teacher is turn around and constrain that what you want to do is give them the tools give them the scenarios give them the benefit of your experience and every other captain uh, that comes and talks and shares <clears throat> and observes um, and give them the opportunity to to find out where their limits are and the one person um, generally who's got to make sure that they op- they operate just slightly outside their limits, but you can pull them back if they need to, is teacher. And so if you've got six students on a submarine and every single one is operating differently, you, honestly, it's, it's like it, can, it can be sort of, I was going to say a minefield, that's probably the wrong word, but it's, it, can be, um, it can be really tough to work out what, what people are going to do next and therefore have a plan in your, in your own head about if he gets that wrong, this is what I'm going to do to recover the situation. So, so, those last two years in the Navy um, were by far the most challenging two years in the Navy. And my responsibility wasn't to the submarine captains at all. It was to the crews that they were going to lead. And so, so I had it pretty much in my head. The two things that, that for me, if, if, you, if you can lead well, and, and I can teach you the rest without a doubt. And I taught a, um, a US, uh, I had one US student um, on the course and one French student during, during my time if you can t- if you can if you can lead well uh, i'll help you with tactics and everything else and you've got to look after your team and everything else but if i see behavior that it indicates that you're not going to look after them you're not going to pass and then the second one is make decisions too often people procrastinate for one more bit of information and and you don't make a decision just make a decision because the reality is um it, it might not be right but if it's 60 percent right you can find the other 40 and if it's wrong you can always alter the decision but do something and so procrastination uh, or failure to make decisions and poor leadership would make sure it would, it would you wouldn't pass the course for that i found in my own career that i, I didn't want to be a, a, a teacher as you call it instructor over here didn't want to do it thought going. I found that to be almost the most rewarding thing I did to see, to look at those reports later on down the line, two, five, 10 years later, and see the students that I had taught and what they had accomplished later on to be very satisfying and very rewarding. And I would imagine with a CO course, it would have to be uh, equally as equally as satisfying for you. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I like the fact that all the people I passed have gone on and commanded, and in fact, two of them have been teacher now. So, so that that for me said, you know, I made the correct decisions about who I passed and who I failed. And those guys that failed, and and, and I, I used to be really um, key with them, say because it, it's, it's a huge thing to fail that course. I mean, it's the end of your submarine career at that point, but it's not the end of your career. All it says is you can't be a submarine captain. You can go do a whole load of other stuff in within the navy, and most many of them go on and be captains of frigates. They go on and do other great things that they they're admirals, whatever else. But the reality is, for commanding a submarine, there are there are niche skill sets, niche capabilities that you, you mean mean that you you couldn't do it. But you're going to do something else. So I'd make sure that once I told them that they failed, that they they, they were looked after, and and their careers were were progressed in in the way that they wanted to. 
how does one go from being a submarine captain to become a teacher? I mean, what what type of traits is the UK Admiralty looking for for a teacher or their prospective submarine captain? So, so there's two, two elements. So, so I, I had a bit of a training. So, so there's almost, you can be operational, but you can also train, you can do strategy, do all those kind of things. I enjoy all of those. But I had a real, um, I, I could train people. So during my career, I, I taught the submarine advanced warfare course at the sub, sub school. Um, I then was a command rider for flag officer sea training. So I'd go to sea and train up submarine crews. Um, and then just before I was, and, and basically all of that and my performance on um, during my command uh, meant that I was selected to be teacher, which was basically my second command appointment. It's did, uh, you, did you choose that or did they select you? you no, I, I, I didn't ask for it. I, so that they choose, they choose uh, out of that crop of captains, which one they want to teach the next generation. So you've, uh, you retired. You retired after twenty six years, in in the Royal Navy, Her Majesty's Navy. Just did, were you excited by the seventy fifth uh, celebration there? Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I, 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 I think yeah, I was I was quite happy about that. I'm it not was, much. I'm not much of an Anglophile, but I enjoyed watching. She's she's a classy lady. Yeah, she's, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's had mixed responses over here, and I think we're probably coming to the end of that monarchist. Um, everybody loves the Queen, but I, I, I'm not certain whether they they warm as much to the next next generation. Effectively, no, so like be interesting to see what interesting to see how um, how that all changes uh, over the next ten fifteen years. Whether we go to some model like the Danish or the Dutch, um, where it doesn't become the central. Um, focus I, I don't know but for me you know I, I joined the navy I served my queen that was who my pledge was to I'd do the government's bidding but I would serve the queen if she turned around and said to do something different we would do something different I like it which the whole point of my question was you served for 26 years you retired what do you do now what what's Ryan do today oh, so, so 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 um so when I so when I decided to leave the navy I decided to leave because um in, in my um in my last year in command, every admiral that would come on board would go, um, "This just just enjoy this because you're going to go into the MOD and it's going to be real tough work and it's not as much fun as doing this." Although I'm sure some of them still have fun. And I turned around and went, "Do you know what? I want to leave on a high, actually. <clears throat> so I'd like to leave knowing that I'd had the best time ever and that I'd hopefully made a difference to a whole load of people um, for the better." And uh, and then try something else. I, I, you know, what's the next challenge? So <clears throat> initially, I decided to get into politics, um, which was just too much. And uh, I, I remember Lord Hennessy, who's he's one of the um, he's a brilliant historian. He, t- he wrote me a letter turning around and saying, uh, "Politics needs more people like you." But I don't know why you want to get into it. And he's and he's absolutely right at that point. So um, then I went to work for Shell and I was in charge. Of, they, they, they had an experiment to see whether you could put, um, this goes back to, can you lead anything? So um, so I went to Shell and I put me in charge of a high pressure, high temperature um, platform in the North Sea, an oil rig effectively. And um, and I led for two years on that. Then I went to uh, National Grid and I, I was head of construction for National Grid for a while. Um, and all of this has been building to, as much business experience as I can before I do what I do now, which is I'm, I'm leading a team uh, building um, electric charge points across the UK. So we have a network across the UK. So, um, so yeah, it's all that all kind of good stuff. 
And in the middle of all this, you, you wrote books. Is that what I understand? Yeah, I did. Well, so, so I wrote the first one, and I'm about halfway through the second one. So halfway through the second one, and I think my publishers probably had enough of me by now. But the, the um, basically, when lockdown started, um, they the publisher called up and said, "Hey, do you fancy write?" You know, and I said, "Yeah, I haven't got anything else. To do. It's not like I can go out anywhere." And and then um, and then I found myself helping lots of people and, and businesses for free on how to cope with isolation and everything else. And of course, I was still working as well. And then I realized I didn't have any time whatsoever. So um, so I need to create myself some more time to finish it off. I'll finish the second book off. I, I saw that you, uh, you, you had at least one article that I found about how to cope with the lockdown. And over here, we kind of joked That's about being, a, being submariners. We're used to being locked. That's no big deal to us. Do you kind of feel the same way? How do, you, how do you translate that to the people you were dealing with who weren't submariners? So, so, so there was there was almost three different elements to this, and I only worked it out after the first couple of um, uh, talks I gave. So, so the first first group were leaders. So, leaders were struggling with disparate leadership. I'd call it. You know, uh, your people are working from home. How do you know that they're doing what you want them to do? And so, so getting Not people true. to accept that you, you know, task orientated, make sure you give them tasks and do it that way. But you have to have trust. And then equally, there was people being found out. So senior leaders were saying to me, this guy who we thought was a great head of is actually useless. And he's now been found out because of this, this and this. And how do we handle that? And so and how do you give coaching? You know, you can't give one to one coaching. So is there any way you can help with it? So that that dealt with the leaders thing. And then you had um, groups, families that were stuck together and sometimes in very small environments, which is really, really, really tough, as well as trying to work and what is trying to. So, So I gave you some, you know, some some guidance about how to do that. And then possibly the hardest one um, for me to deal with was those that were just on their own. And, you know, the, 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 the young person who's bought uh, an apartment and didn't really intend to live in that apartment in London, just intended to be out doing whatever and use it to sleep and is now now locked away in this apartment for over 100 days. And so 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 my big bit was the, the first question that would come back at the beginning of lockdown was, hey, how long is this going to last? And I'd go, well, plan forever. And they go, well, why, it'll be over in a couple of weeks. I said, yeah, but you'd be really disappointed if it's not. So plan for at least 100 days. And luckily, I was about right with the time because it was just over 100 days. Um, but, but, but that whole, yeah, it was, it was three different models to, to help people in three different situations, which seemed to work. It seems like it's helped uh, leaders transform themselves to make better leaders because there's a lot of leadership skills that are learned in person in the office. And then, and then they had the chance to, I mean, kind of just you know, wait around a little bit in, in the, the at distance type leadership. So, I mean, I enjoyed watching people gain those leadership skills too, because uh, I think it's important to focus more like what you said on, on the people is that, you know, trust, trust the people. I mean, you've said a lot of great things that I agree with that unfortunately a lot of leaders not, are not just getting yet, but I think they're starting to get it now which COVID has been a transformative period, which I think is good for everybody. So, so I really enjoyed that. I do, I do think probably that just while we're on the leadership thing, that the, the biggest challenge for most leaders now, because there, there, there's, there's some really great leadership out there, particularly in the UK, I'm going to talk about, but in the UK, there's some great leadership. There's also some absolutely poor leadership going on. And, and the reality is we live in this post-truth era and it's really difficult for leaders with the right values and everything else to lead in that 
um, particular area. And I think eventually we'll overcome it with the, in, in the next year or two years, we'll overcome that. And, and, the, and hopefully the tone, political tone is set properly. Um, that lever, that leadership will lever into the business world um, a bit better and, and, and we'll have, we'll be in a better position. But I, I think leadership in, in this century is extremely difficult. And, and this decade is, is harder than it's ever been. I got to go back to David. I just wanted to go, I just want to go back just for a second, because he said he led an oil rig and that, you know, being from the South Gulf of Mexico, oil rigs were dotted all over the place. Not so much anymore. What was that like? Cause they say it's like roughnecks. These guys are like hardcore, you know, very focused on themselves and their abilities. I mean, that had to been a challenge to lead those type of individuals. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so I think I, I found that and I've loved all of the challenges in the business world, because the first thing is, I mean, turning up on the oil rig um, and I, I did all my training, obviously. So I did, uh, they gave me nine months to train. I finished it in three and because obviously I, was, I, I wasn't leaving till I finished it. Um, and, the, and then you, you found you, you go on board and of course they go brand new to the oil industry, doesn't know anything. And, they, and they're right. I didn't I didn't know very much about that, but I can lead. And so, um, so the guy that I took over from, really great guy, uh, very technically orientated, 27 years in, in the oil industry, eight years on that particular platform. And so what you'd have is the ops supervisor coming in and saying, hey, sir, we, uh, hey, Ryan, sorry, not sir. Hey, Ryan, we've got a uh, problem with K2420. Uh, we think it's valve this. What should we do? And I'm looking at him going, well, I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> what, what, what do you think you should do? I said, I can't give you the answer to this. I can help you through the, the you know, process, but you guys need to fix it. So you, you go do it and if and, and just have confidence. So you're going to go go fix this stuff. And they did. So I think what they got was initially they go, who is this guy coming here? And then quickly they warmed and went, okay, we, we like how he operates and, and we can deal kind with him. Tested, tested you out. Yeah. Yeah. I kind yeah, of yeah, exactly. I can't figure the yeah, that 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 sounds that sounds about right. That's what yeah, Dave, what what you got? I got a I got a couple more questions for you, but first I wanted to uh, point out the shirt that Eric is wearing. If you haven't seen that yet, you'll notice that it's a black t-shirt that says the subvet on. Sub-vet, and it's got the submarine or ethos on the back. So and if, uh, and if you're watching me drink, you'll notice that I have my subvet coffee cup. Eric, tell everybody where they can get their subvet merchandise. So if you go on the subvet.com and I'm trying to add something a little bit every day, the subvet.com go to, you'll see the merch on, for the subvet. You click on that. That'll bring you to a Zazzle page. And the thing I like about that Zazzle was recommended by a submariner that's been in the business since the eighties, you know, the merchandise business. And he does USSVI and all that kind of stuff. I, Dave, I think you might know him. Bear, bears. No bear. Well, yeah. So, yeah, he recommended that. And I like the fact that you can change a few things, too. You know, if you want to add something, it lets you do that. So, yeah, you go on there, helps out the sub bet and uh, helps helps us grow. And, uh, hey, and you can wear some great merch and then help advertise uh, what we're doing here and the, the great podcasting that we're, we're doing right now and hope, and hope to have in the future. Pretty quick, too. It only took about three days to get my cup. <laughs> I, I got a couple of things I want to uh, listening to you talk. And I, I make notes. I'm a copious note taker. Um, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you in, in, in the vein of leadership, I guess. You mentioned the, the, polo, the political climate, the post-truth climate that we're in on really both sides of the Atlantic, I would say. As a submariner, do you see your leadership model, our leadership model evolving into, into solving that post-truth political environment? And if so, 
what can people like me do or like Eric do to help our leaders to accomplish that? So, so I think the, the, the submarine model of leadership is fantastic with, without a doubt. And it's proven itself because on board a submarine, that there, there is no place for that dishonesty, particularly because the consequence is fatality. And so everybody has to be honest. Those boats where you've, you've heard of, you know, people are starting to hide things, the command climate's wrong, everything else. They, you, you guys do it way quicker than we would, but you, you, you get rid of the leadership team and you bring new people in. And that's the great book, David Marquette's um, Turn This Ship Around, t- talks a lot about how that, how that um, I, f- I felt a bit sorry for the CEO before David Marquette, to be fair, but because um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't like to be the topic of that book. Um, but, uh, but he's right. That's, you know, he went on board, he turned it around and, and that's exactly what, um, what you need to do in those particular cases. And then there's another bit that says, if it's not broken, don't try and change it massively. So, um, so if it's in a really good state, all you're doing is you're, you're carrying that responsibility going forward. But p- probably the biggest thing I think that the submarine leadership world can bring over to, um, particularly the political world, uh, but in some cases, the business world is um the the selfless servant leadership i think we we go on board to serve that's what we do and and it's all about the crew first yourself second and what you find a lot within in the business world and definitely within the political world is that it's all about self-serving and that's the bit that's really i find really disappointing and particularly if you look at some of the politicians in on the uk side that have gone from the military into the political world and you've watched them transition into this self-serving piece because they've been influenced so much by the by the by the environment they live in Um, and sometimes i think that needs to be reset and the submarine service is very good at doing that that's where i wanted to get you to because you are a commander my xo is now an admiral and i have regular conversations with him and and stuff like that and one of the things i'm most uncomfortable with and i'll tell you i had to write myself big note here don't call him sir (laughs) Yeah, because there's an element here and I get the formality of the military and I get the formality of the Navy and the purpose for that. But you're right about this self-service and and servant attitude kind of thing, because most of our politicians want us on on both sides, want us to be obsequiously kneeling to them and to refer to them that way. And you have a different attitude towards that. You, you tell people, again, I wrote it in my notes. Don't call him sir. Why? Yeah. I th- because because it's the sir bit is. I mean, let's just come back to the politics bit. Politicians are supposed to serve us. That's why they're elected to serve the people, and they forget that, and that's really bad. With regards to titles and stuff like that, some people get off on titles. You know, you see retired majors and they want to be called major whoever, and retired lieutenant colonels want to be called lieutenant colonel, even though they've left ages ago. It was just a title. And the reality was, you know, we had rank and structure and everything else. I lead a team now. Nobody ever calls me sir, boss, whatever else. They just call me Ryan. And that doesn't change that I'm the guy who's serving them as leader. It just means that the titles and everything else are are not necessary. So, I mean, for me, it's scripturally based. Uh, Going back a couple thousand years, I mean, it's several places. It says in the scriptures to serve the people that you lead. And it's like, it's like, it's not old hat. It's just like somewhere people get off 
And I think that's, uh, it oscillates throughout time. Maybe some people, some leaders get to where they are serving and, and then, then they want you to kind of kneel to them like Dave was, was saying. So, yeah, I, man, this is great stuff. You have anything else you want to, to add or, or plug about what you're doing out there these days and what, what great stuff you're bringing to, you probably do any community projects or anything like that? Yeah, so, well, I do quite a bit to help um, veterans transition into the civilian life. And, and I think we, we forget that um, you, you've got a brilliant, uh, you, you look after your veterans very well in the US. I know I saw it firsthand when I was out there for two years. It, it was amazing. And we don't, pr- frankly, <laughs> we just don't. We haven't. And some of the stories you see, uh, you, you, you've almost got this, This uh, there's two pots. There's there's veterans that leave and they move into business and they just settle. And then there's a whole load of people that just don't settle with it. And therefore, so if I can help anybody on that journey, I will. If I can employ people, I will employ them. And, and help them through that, you know, help them to make that transition because it's huge. It's you're giving up a huge part of your life at that. You've been, and it is institutionalized without a doubt. You are institutionalized by the time you leave. And so readjustment is, is really, um, really quite a tough thing to do. And I, I, I say it myself, I said, you know, five years after I left, and I'm, I'm, I'm in year seven now, but the um, five years after I left, even, even I was having a bit of, I uh, really miss it and want to go back to it because this is really tough out here. Um, and then, and then you sit down and you go, that was history and it was brilliant and I loved it. And I always want to remember it for being absolutely brilliant, but you got to keep going forward and, and, and carry on and make a difference. So if I can share um things you know people learn from my mistakes people learn from what i've learned if they can leave her off my network they can I, I do all of that for them um and then on another bit is coaching and mentoring so um i, I sit on the oh i chair actually a um a small company called future leaders and basically they provide mentoring and coaching to people in the energy sector to help them on the leadership journey um and then probably the final one is that i'm a i'm the chair of um Plymouth Argyle, uh, Plymouth Argyle, which is a football club, and and I'm the chairman of their community trust. So, so not the football club itself. That that'd be really nice. Um, but the community trust is brilliant because what that does for uh, Plymouth, Cornwall, Devon is is absolutely incredible. The difference it makes for for people's lives is amazing. He is the future MP from Stratford on Avon. <laughs> or maybe, or maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to be getting politics. I mean, it, the problem with getting into politics is when you when you lead like us, oh, it kind of offends there? people around around them. So you know, they're like, no, who's this guy coming up talking like this? And, and people like him. We don't like that. You know, we don't yeah. like that style. They I've, just I've gotten that out. for years. I get that for years. Dave, why don't you run for office? I can't. Say <laughs> <laughs> so. I might. I might do it one day. I think you should. I, there's got to be something special about being the MP from Stratford on Avon. I don't think I'd win here though. So, so I know that for a fact. So, so, and it wouldn't be here that I'd want to do it. I'd want to be, I'd want to be an MP where you could really make a difference to it. Stratford-upon-Avon is a brilliant place. It's really nice, but it's set. There's, there's, there's not much you're going to change and not much you need to. You want to go to an area where it's, where it's really needs help and you can really push um, agendas and, and make sure that you can push the local agenda um, in, into the national debate. And, and I think that's, that's where I'd, I'd make the most difference. All right. Ryan Ramsey, tell us where people can get a hold of you if they want to, or if they can read your books or get your lectures, whatever they want to do. Sure. So, so the book is called SSN4. I should have held a copy up. The book is called SSN14, which is Submerged Ship Nuclear 14. 
Um, all the profits go to charity. I, I don't I don't take any money for that. Um, you can find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter. I'm at, very active on Twitter and I'm also on LinkedIn. And my Twitter handle is SSN14CO. Um, and uh, Ryan Ramsey, you're, you're, you can Google and you'll find me. Outstanding. And uh, I'm Eric from thesubbed.com. And, and I? You can, uh, oh, and, go ahead. Sorry. No, I so say you can email me at eric at subbit.com. You could get our social media group too. Uh, so Dave always get, Dave, say the Facebook group, please. Um, so Facebook.com slash groups. Just look for groups called The Subvet. I will tell you, however, if you're going to join the Subvet, you must agree to the group rules. If you do not agree to the group rules, I will decline your invitation because I like doing that. Family, family site. That's all you got to think. Family site. That's why we got rules. Not to corner anybody. And last show, I did not pull this up. I meant to do it for my brother. He sent me this artifact he found from when I was in the shipyard becoming the Henry L. Stimson from many years ago, 92, 93. So there's, thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. Got to clean this up. You know, I don't want to get, you know, it's like an, like an old car or an old gun. What do they call that? You know, you don't want to get the uh, nostalgia. Yeah, you don't. Do I really want to clean it up or just a little bit? Or, you know, there's actually a term for that. Anyways, that's where you can find us. And uh, I, I appreciate you, uh, Ryan, for being on the show with us. Great stuff. Loved all the leadership stuff. I mean, it's kind of, I, I'm in the I'm in the same boat with you. Not to say submarines are better than anything, but I think the key point to take away is serve first. Always serve first. The magic happens. Oh, we are better. Thank you, Ryan. It's been great having you here today. Really enjoyed that. So much for having me. Appreciate that. So, Eric, are we going to try this again? Are we ready? I'm going to count the, to three. By the way, hang on. Cadence. Hang on. I'm Dolphin. <laughs> you can get me at DolphinDave at SlipperyFish.com or uh, my website, PlausiblyLive.com, just like it sounds. All right. Count us down. All right. One, two, three. The, the sub yeah, it's closer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we are absolutely it, never going to get that right. <laughs>